the worlds of art and technology are now coming together. And that's not necessarily a comfortable relationship. But the reason I think that's a really good thing is it means that art is no, no longer necessarily separate from the tech industry. Yeah. Art, digital art, generative art, creative coders can actually shape the future of the tech systems in which we live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Alex Torik, who is the chief editor for Block Right Click Safe, who is the blockchain art publication. We also had Jason Bailey, known as Artnom, previously, where we chatted a bit about Right Click Safe. And Alex is also a member of Club NFT, part of the team. And he has been a lecturer for Sotheby's Institute and also supports with the Regent Initiative, which we'll be talking about in just a bit. So, Alex, so great to have you here. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Callow. Um, doing very to... well. Uh, another day in Web3 and uh, we're still alive. So that's that's the main thing. Right, right. And Alex, you're based in London, am I right? Correct. Yes, East London. East London. It's quite a quite a quite a big contingent of Web three folk here, um, but of course, as you know, we we uh, focus on uh, being as 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 global as possible at the magazine. So, um, whilst I'm happy to celebrate, uh, you know, London as a, as a, a centre for kind of Web three developments, I um, I don't like the idea that Web three becomes a kind of a, a, a sort of uh, a place of metropolitan hubs yeah no that makes makes a lot of sense uh alex i also see it with uh, my audience actually so i'm i live in europe but i i try to write a lot about you know artists and collectors and, and things happening not only near me um but outside right from uh, in america latin america in asia it's uh, i think it's I mean, it's a challenge, but it's also what makes this uh, a space very special, right? That you can you can talk about whatever is happening in the world. It's, it's quite exciting, and there is a lot of things happening. So it's it's quite interesting to to have that kind of reach, right? Well, I appreciate I appreciate that, and I think um, your positionality is very important. I think um, it sometimes feels to me like there's a kind of contest um, between uh sort of old forms of uh centralization and i think a more horizontal more decentralized space um decentralized in a good sense um not just sort of e entropy um mm -hmm. and i think uh it's it's very important the work you do and uh it's kind of interesting seeing the different editorial platforms that have emerged sort of different approaches um And I think that makes for a, a more fertile ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, really appreciate uh, the work you do and, and um, kind of, yeah, I feel like this conversation is overdue. So um, looking forward yeah, to no, um, We have been, just for uh, everyone listening, we have been chatting a lot uh, via email, right, Alex? And, you know, I've been, for a long time, I've been, uh, I, I always wanted to write a piece for Right Click Safe and also had Alex in the podcast. So it's 
great to to have you on the show and have this chat and maybe we can we can start Alex with um the early days so how how did you um started in the in the how did you start in the art world how was the that path were you very young when you got interested in art or 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 in your teenage teenage years how was it um, so I actually did an art foundation um, when I left school, um, but I, I went to study art history at university um, and I had a had a pretty meandering 20s, to be honest. Um, and I, I trained as a, a bespoke tailor um, mm. for two years. I trained as a lawyer. Um, so I have a lot of respect for traditional craft. And I think one of the interesting things about Web3 or, or um, digital uh, developments recently is is a, 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 a respect for the skill and the craft involved in creative coding in digital production um, rather than a sort of perhaps a more traditional um, repertoire of, of sort of fine art. Um, so I, I, I was a kind of craftsman myself for a little while, uh, then a lawyer, uh, and then I taught art history for many years and I um, uh, I took a break from teaching and I went and edited it in Milan for a magazine called Flash Art, which I have a long-standing relationship with. Um, and uh, I started a, a, a column there called the Uncanny Valley, which is, was really uh, trying to, I guess, fill a space between um, uh, what you might consider to be the kind of critical approach um, that a lot of contemporary artists adopt and new developments in sort of AI, AR, um, and ultimately crypto and, and NFTs. Um, and so uh, in a sense, the Uncanny Valley at Flash Art was a kind of, I guess, a test case for right-click save. And it was when mm -hmm. I was working at Flash Art that I met Jason and I met Casey Reese and um, I commissioned them to do a sort of a, a roundtable conversation about uh, the ecological cost of crypto. Mm -hmm. And that was just after... Uh, Memo Action had had written his great uh, sort of study of um, sort of the problems involved in 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 um, uh, the environmental cost of of crypto and so on. Um, so that's how I met Jason. That's how I met uh, Casey. And and um, and from then on, I, I suppose my interest has always been looking at new developments in Web three. Um, blockchain, NFTs, uh, smart contracts with a critical lens. Um, and I think there's a, there's a balance, I, I guess, we try and uh, preserve, which is um, criticality uh, without cynicism, I guess you could say. And I think we're, we're not evangelical about Web3 technologies, um, but we also feel that uh, the NFT has brought um, has has created a, a space for a more inclusive uh, model, um, and of course, it, it's it's hard to preserve that model in a down market. Um, but um, hopefully, that that gives you some sort of flavour of of where I come from, and and um, perhaps why Jason and I um, have developed this sort of sort of long-standing position um, that. Uh, we should be celebrating a more inclusive vision of um, digital art because ultimately that's what the NFT unlocked. You know, it was the potential, not necessarily the reality, but the potential for um, a vastly expanded community of or sets of communities 
of digital mm -hmm. creators. And, and that's something that we try and preserve and, and um, not always successfully. Uh, but I think, yes, for, from my perspective, um, it's probably worth sort of saying at the outset that I see that there are tendencies towards inclusivity, but particularly in a down market, there are lots of tendencies towards exclusivity as well. And I see that community uh, can be a tool for inclusion, but it can actually also be a, a, a tool for building walls and actually excluding. Mm -hmm. And of course, a market, and I think it's fair to say that the, the Web3 space um, has sort of established names now. Um, but I think if, if we ignore the potential for a more horizontal and more affordable art world where emerging talent can kind of um, build careers, uh, then in a sense, we're losing track of the good things about, you know, Web3. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So you had um, kind of a, a first a column on flash art to discuss the the kind of a, a test, right? To discuss what's happening in, in blockchain art, digital art, um, and that led up to Right Click Safe, which is one of the most popular publications. And, you know, I had the, the discussion with Jason, um, and for anybody that's listening, it's, uh, I believe, podcast number 10. And exciting, exciting discussion. You could really see the, the passion from, from Jason. And he was very vocal about, you know, be kind of a contrarian, right? So for him, it's very important to, you know, look for new things, new for uh, look for things that not necessarily people are talking about. And I feel like that's one of the aspects um, or one of the, the main drivers of right click safe, right? So can you tell us a bit, um, and for those that haven't, haven't read right click safe, what's the, the vision of the publication, you as an editor, uh, what did you look for uh, in terms of uh, content, in terms of topics, artists, and also writers, right, that you invite to collaborate? So what are you looking for exactly in Right Click Safe? So I would say, um, and, and the, the longer the magazine has gone on, the more uh, clear about what it's for I have become. Um, and these days I regard the magazine as a listening exercise. Um, which is to say, in a sense, uh, a space for principally artists, but also collectors, curators, and the whole community of, of what I regard as kind of hybrid creative entrepreneurs who inhabit Web3. Some of them are more creative, some of them are more curatorial, some of them are, are, are you know, are, are sort of purely in it for the collecting. Um, but I think for, for all of those participants in, in, I think, what is quite a coherent uh, community or set of communities, um, we wanted to be the space where sort of people's voices could be heard and shared. And I think initially my feeling was there was a kind of community who had just not been celebrated by the, the mainstream contemporary art world. So I felt like originally when we started out, um, there were a set of conversations, a set of narratives um, that simply hadn't been explored. So, for example, the, the, the article that I always think about um, is uh, uh, we published a text uh, by a, a, a scholar called Luke Espanol early on called NFTs and the Risk of Perpetual Colonialism, um, hmm. which in some ways, you know, is, is not the sort of... Um, 
it wasn't actually the kind of conversation that I think anyone had had meaningfully before that point. And, and the point of, of that article was really to address the, the potential problems of new technologies. And I suppose one of the lessons of Web 2, I think, um, was that, in a sense, new technologies uh, are sort of, sort of emerge um, and they solve problems we didn't know we had. Uh, and, and as a result, they kind of also create new problems. Um, and what was interesting to me about being quite early in Web3 was wondering whether we could sort of get ahead of the problems before they emerged. And so I suppose, you know, the reason we take a sort of critical approach is not only because, you know, we, we think that, you know, skepticism is the only kind of meaningful road to, um, you know, truth or, or, or um, a kind of progressive vision of the future. Um, I think it's also because we saw the problems with Web 2 of, of centralization, of kind of monopoly capitalism. Mm. And although I had a lot of interest in the potential positive uh, use cases of smart contracts, to automate uh, compensation of labor to artists, to curators, et cetera. Um, I think that's really exciting. But of course, a smart contract also, you know, automates the present into the future, which could be a very negative um, uh, thing. Um, and so for me, what was interesting, and, and it's the same when I, when I teach about these things at you know, various places, you know, it's one thing seeing the positive use cases of NFTs, you know, blockchain, smart contracts. But it's also, I think, important to acknowledge um, that there are potential pitfalls with each of these new technologies. Um, and technology is, is not a kind of neutral zone. Um, and so right click save, I guess, was on the one hand, it was about celebrating a community and listening. Um, and on the other hand, it was about kind of coming to terms with a set of new technologies and maybe ways in which they could be turned towards progressive and inclusive purposes rather than extractive, exploitative and exclusionary um, mm. uses. Um, so that, that's, I guess, what Right Click Save um, emerged to do. I also have one uh, personal viewpoint. We started out doing criticism um, because, of course, I respect you know, good writing on art. Um, but what, what we learned quite quickly was that the genre of art criticism is sort of inherently elitist. And um, so what we did was we switched our criticism section to our community section um, so that, in a sense, Right Click Save uh, is not really a place where a community of intelligent people, probably from the global north, probably very well educated, can impose their values on artists, maybe from the global south, who, 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 for example, you know, because principally because I think you know, crypto art is a celebration of of artists from all around the world. Um, what we wanted to do was kind of create a collision zone for different approaches, different viewpoints, and we have kind of you know, sort of quite lefty socialist voices. We have some pretty right-wing techno-libertarian voices. And, and we see that, you know, you can have um, a kind of meaningful debate within a climate of toleration. And that is something that obviously we feel is, is very important to have. 
Um, but I think that, that, that there's a kind of, there's a specific point and, and something I wanted to do specifically, which was, um, I believe that the language that artists use should be the language used to evaluate their art. I don't necessarily feel that a class of mediators and gallerists and curators, yes, etc., and people like me, by the way, should necessarily be imposing the language on the artist. So that's sort of some of the, maybe that's a flavor for what we've tried to do. But, but you know, honestly, I'm, I'm not a sort of mouthpiece. I'm trying to sort of listen to every voice I hear. And there are certain words that seem important to me um, and I listen and I hear them every day and I see them on Twitter every day. And then there are other words that feel artificial um, that I don't think are necessarily natively Web3. And they're not language or words being used by the artists themselves. So I tend to have a kind of artist first grassroots approach to what we do, if that makes sense. No, that's uh, I mean, that's a fantastic way to, to describe it. And. It's uh, when you think about it to to kind of lay down this vision that you have. It's very complex, right? Because you need to have many voices. You need to have kind of a good eye to understand what's happening. You have to pay attention to to the yeah the whole space. You cannot only look towards a particular marketplace or platform or a particular style. You have to be kind of always open and, and watching, and then. Yeah, well, I guess one of the, my my question was um, that I have prepared your role as an editor because I'm very curious. Uh, you know, I have my newsletter where I share my thoughts, I share art that I like, I, I share uh, market analysis, but I'm doing this alone, right? I, I, I haven't worked with an editor before. I have never been like, I never edited, uh, let's say, articles for, for a publication or a magazine, but it's something that... I'm very interested in, and I wonder how is that process, Alex? How is the process of working with other writers? How is the process of giving feedback? How is the process of, you know, yeah, discussing? Is it like, how do you define it like yourself? Are you somebody that is highly critical on pieces or you let, you know, the writers kind of take control? How is that? How, how, how would you describe that process? So... I would say that um, I would say a good editor um, is is dealing with two things principally. That's form, uh, the language itself, and and the meaning as well. And um, so there are times when you know one might come across a text and you might think, "Oh, that's that that word might be replaced with this word, or those two words might be replaced with this one word." to simplify and clarify. Mm. Um, but there might also be a time when, you know, uh, a sentence, and I would say, you know, the tradition of contemporary art criticism is, is often a little bit florid. It's a bit floral. It tends to be kind of sometimes descriptive without being necessarily meaningful. And so, you know, at its most sort of proactive, obviously editing is... I think a way of, of sort of establishing meaning, not, not necessarily imposing my meaning, um, but perhaps finding what the original intention of the author was and kind of bringing that to the surface together. Um, 
That's what a good editor would do. I, I, I tend to think I'm a very bad editor. I'm, I'm quite a good rewriter. Um, and so, you know, I, I have to say, you know, this is probably the, the good forum to, to apologize to, to all of our writers who are inc- invariably very tolerant with me, um, but hopefully feel that at the end, um, the outcome is, is a sort of kind of magnification of their voice. Um, and of course, uh, it's, it's, it's very important not to alter the language uh, too much uh, of, of one's writers, um, because it's a privilege to be able to collaborate with people like Charlotte Kent or um, Brian Fry or, you know, any number of, of writers in this space. I would also say, you know, one of the interesting things about Right Click Say, from my perspective, at least, is when we started I don't know if there was a very developed native language of Web3. And I think uh, perhaps something that I've been resistant to um, is sort of bringing contemporary art terminology into Web3 on the basis that it understands Web3 better than, for example, the artists themselves. And I think, you know, for example, we've obviously done a lot of work uh, on generative art um, and one of the interesting things about generative art or the history of you know, computer art, algorithmic practices and, and, and generative art, what we, what we now call, I think, generally speaking, generative art, um, is over the 60 years or whatever, 70 years or so um, that it's been practiced, uh, different words have been used about it. Um, and I think one of the interesting things for me is our, we have a section called Crypto Histories, where you have, I think, competing languages. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the articles I'm, I'm in some ways m- most excited about still is, is a text we did. It was, it was really an interview, a community interview with uh, Roman Voroshko, um, who's now a very old man. Um, we, we got a load of generative artists um, to ask questions to Roman. And uh, that was interesting because you had two generations or multiple generations of, of artists using language that was familiar to, 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 to some, but maybe not to all. And so for me, I think right-click save is, is not an, in- an attempt to impose one particular language, but it is about, I think, listening to communities um, and acknowledging, and I, this is something Casey Reese said in a, in a recent conversation we had, um, that it does seem that generative art has become the, the kind of mutually generally agreed, generally accepted term about a particular kind of sort of code-based production. Um, Mm. And so it's very important to acknowledge that when the community uses one phrase, we go with that phrase. It's not to say that there are, Mm. you know, they were wrong in the 60s to talk about computer art, Um, but it's really, for me, it's very interesting how obviously language evolves over time. and, you know, and it's also something I take very seriously. So, for example, when I said to, to Roman, you know, was the work that you were doing in the 1970s generative art? He said, oh, yes, absolutely. It was generative mm-hmm. art, even if generative art was not a phrase used in the 1970s to talk about it. So that's that's been a really interesting uh, exercise. And I, I guess the point I'm just trying to get across is right click save is not supposed to be nebulous. It's not supposed to be like all the language used, you know, everything is equal. I guess it's, it's been about trying to understand the language that has emerged now. 
hmm. and the histories behind those yeah. languages. Yeah. No, that that's that that makes a lot of sense, and actually, it's something that I kind of debate myself when I'm writing. There are some terms, right? There are some phrases uh, created by the community, um, Web three, or maybe NFT community, or also blockchain art community. And I'm wondering, like, is this it's okay to to use these terms because some of them are, uh, you know, really informal, right? Or or Somebody, if my friends that are not into this movement read this, they will be like, what are you talking about? Like, what are these phrases, these terms? So it's it's very interesting that you actually kind of uh, have this in your mind and it's kind of a, a, a an important aspect, right, of right-click-safe, how to, to use those terminologies and actually embrace them, right? I think that's a, that's a very good way to, to put it. If I can just say, I think uh, one of the... Um... One of the, I think it's very important that when you're dealing with an emerging, or dare I say, even an emergent discourse, um, it, it's for me, it's very important not to impose too many rules because, of mm. course, you know, the language that may end up being used to describe what's happening now, uh, which might be generative art, it might be long form generative art, but it might be something different, um, is not. We, we shouldn't be so arrogant to assume that we can already see or know the categories of quote unquote art or, or creative production that have emerged. When I am teaching, there's usually a few categories that I kind of explore and sort of tease. Um, but I'm also always sort of conscious about saying, you know, well, these are sort of, in a sense, terms in flux. Um, and, and even I'm sure, you know, you've experienced the same thing you know i never know whether blockchain art is now something else um something bigger um or whether blockchain art is is a subset subcategory uh, you know and also you have disagreement um you know you have some people who regard parametric art as separate from generative art they regard randomness as essential to generative art and there are other people who regard parametric art as a branch of generative art um, artists included. Uh, there are artists who regard AI art as a branch of generative art. Um, there are artists who uh, would never use the phrase AI art. They might use the phrase ML art, machine learning art. And I'm always um, you know, fascinated by this kind of contested um, language yeah. sort of terrain. Mm. Um, but I guess it's important just to stress that Again, I don't feel that we are living in a kind of world of total relativity. I don't feel that, you know, uh, there is no solid ground whatsoever. There yeah. are some words that people use more often than other words, but even those words are also contested. So I think it's important to say that. I don't think it's completely nebulous and I don't think that everyone is right. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know... Um, all we can do and all I do at the magazine is listen and um, try and establish, I guess, popularity of language um, and also try to explain why some language becomes less popular, for example. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, especially because I'm not sure if it's uh, something specific to our space, but people are, you know, 
some people hate some terms and they are actually angry that you use some terms. So it, it's kind of tricky. And I, I, I agree that um, our job is not really to define at this moment. It's more to listen and just understand the differences if we can at the moment. And my, my question, my, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, do you think in the future, and maybe we can look back in history, um, this will be kind of defined, there will be specific terms uh, for X or Y, and they were teach this in universities and schools in a more structured way, or how, how does it happen, or, or how, what's the story behind art, let's say from 300, 400 years ago, at some point, some historians actually put like the fundamentals, right, and people agree, and, and I guess we, we could see that happening in 20, 50 years from now, but it's it's hard to, to do. So I guess the question is, do you think at some point there will be clear definitions into this movement and what everything means? Um, and that's how people will, you know, talk about this, or do you think that will never happen? Uh, no, that always happens. Um, but I would say, and I would say I, um, perhaps like Jason, I tend on the side of the contrarian. I do think that um, the NFT is a challenge to the traditional, not only the traditional art world or the mainstream contemporary art world, um, but actually to traditional histories of art. Um, I would also say that there are there is an increasing tendency. I don't know if you 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 feel this towards. Uh, books about the end of art and there have been books um written recently uh, there's a book called after art there's a book called um um uh, likeness and presence a history of the image before the era of art um and uh, there's there's a i think there's a book uh called is contemporary art over or something like that i i suppose one of the things i find interesting is not so much um you know, passing judgment on whether art is over or not. Um, I would say that um, it seems to me one of the things that has followed the NFT is a growing acceptance of a set of digital practices as art rather than as digital illustration, digital design, graphic design, game engine design, and, and so on. I'm not saying they are not examples of digital illustration. I wouldn't hopefully be that arrogant. But the fact that people are using the word art to describe things that were hi historically not art, I find fascinating. So I think, you know, there's a there's a there's a gallery platform called Expanded Art. Um, we published a text last year uh, by Jesse Damiani called um, Curating in Post-Reality which discussed the idea of art in expanding fields. I think from my perspective, it, it is it is very interesting uh, to, and I think it's very appropriate to, to see an expansion of um, the field of art. Um, and I find that very interesting. I think, you know, I wrote this text recently called Art After NFTs. Um, and in that, you know, article, I, you know, I guess I made the point that, you know, if you take a crypto punk, a crypto punk is a, is a highly valuable work of digital art. 
It's, it's certainly crypto art. It's also unquestionably a collectible. It is definitely generative art. In essence, it challenges all of our pre-existing categories of fine art. Yeah. And I think, and by the way, that is not unique to this moment, but I do find it particularly fascinating um, just the sheer, the, 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 the level of expansion. The moment you, you involve digital practices in art, you, you really, widen the range of who can participate in that yeah. market or set of markets. So I find that to be a very positive thing in a certain way. Um, I also, you know, um, I, we, you know, I wrote a really weird text recently or not weird to me, but a, 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 I think a, a, an unusual text, which was called um, uh, the Byzantine history of NFTs. And, and the point I was just trying to, to make was that token economies have existed since time immemorial, they existed in in, in ancient China. They existed in um, on the border of the Byzantine Empire in you know the seventh century AD, um, and that's pre-capitalism. So I think it's it's fair to say that one of the things the NFT did was it it rendered transparent the relationship between art and money. And I think that is a from my perspective that's a very good thing because I think. Fine art, contemporary art, historically has tried to obscure the relationship between art and money. And I think money is very important. It's very important that, that artists can get paid a living wage. Um, but I, of course, we are clearly living in a new stage of capitalism. Web3, I think, does represent a, a new stage of tech capitalism. Um, on the other hand, you know, tokenomics and and you know, um, not only NFTs, but also, you know, ordinals and, and other kinds of token um, have precedent pre-capitalism. So there are uh, developments we're seeing right now, which have precedent in the period before capitalism, before art um, in its modern sense. So for me, that's that's very interesting. And, and do you have some examples of that, Alex? Like... Um... What, what what examples? Because I, I found that I find that very interesting. Yes, yeah, so so I mean, the, probably the the best example, the easiest example I can use is um, uh, the uh, the Byzantine token, uh, the the pilgrim token, um, and that was the basis for uh, my project with Anna Maria Caballero artifacts. Mm. Um, and if so, for example, if you go to the the uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you will in New York, you will find um, a collection of what are called stylite tokens. And these are uh, tokens uh, made in lead or ceramic that have uh, the imprint of uh, Saint Simeon Stylites, who is a famous um, ascetic saint. Um, and what uh, people would do, would they would burn incense on these tokens and um, they would achieve spiritual uh, grace, spiritual healing, but also medicinal healing mm. from these tokens. So this was a, 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 um, uh, an Orthodox Christian token economy. Um, and, you know, this sort of AI uh, generated uh, project that uh, I did with Anna recently, in a sense, was was trying to to show that actually what we're seeing now is not necessarily art in its traditional sense. It has a kind of uh, historical quality that, that brings us back to Byzantine tokens, to 
uh, Hawala Networks. We published an, a, a text early on on Right Click Save called the Hawala History of the NFT. Hawala, History, Hawala Networks have been a kind of really interesting um, sort of um, alternative economy uh, for, for many centuries. And I think basically, uh, Kahlo, I think uh, what I like about art after NFTs is it allows us to talk and think about alternative economies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, we published today, we published a, a text by Judy Mam on Zero One, um, and which is an interesting platform because it, it, in a sense, what it does is it shows you the value of art beyond financial value. And I think that is something that has been true of art for, for, for many centuries um, before the emergence of the market for art in the 17th century, which I think you were referring to. Um, so mm-hmm. that's really interesting to me. But of course, you know, um, one has to be very responsible when one is drawing these very big historical um, relationships. Um, yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's a historian who, you know, I, I recommend uh, any, anyone listening looks into called Reinhard Kozilek. And he developed a theory of historical times, which is basically premised on the idea that you can look at, you know, NFTs alongside medieval tokens and you can see and find meaningful relationships between them. It's not an inappropriate thing to do. Um, But when you do it, you have to be responsible in the conclusions that you're drawing. Um, so for me, that's that's really interesting, and and but it does represent, I think, a challenge to traditional approaches, not only to art but also to academia, scholarship about art, um, and that's a big challenge to you know yeah. centralized networks which have existed for a long time. Yeah, I mean that's uh, a lot of exciting information. I would like to touch on. Two things. So first, you mentioned the project with Ana Maria Caballero, who is uh, uh, an artist that I'm a big fan of, and she's uh, also uh, one of the earliest readers of the of the newsletter. And I know the project you mentioned, uh, it was released on Mprops, right? This AI platform. Um, so that takes me to the AI topic, Alex, and I would like to hear your, your opinion. I mean, both as an editor and writer, so how is AI affecting your practice? And what do you think of uh, the readers, the right-click safe readers uh, see, or what, what are their reactions to AI art in general? So I've seen some people that love it. Some people are really, really against them, uh, against any kind of AI tool. What, what are your thoughts there? I mean, in, in your job to make your job easier, but also, in the terms of art and AI art as a whole, what's the reaction you see in general from your readers? So I, I obviously talk to my readers um, as, as you do. And my sense is that readers appreciate that we don't use ChatGPT. Um, and I have a deputy editor who, uh, with whom I, I proofread and I copy edit. And we, as it were, we, we are, I guess, for the moment, preserving right-click save as a space of human labor. However, mm-hmm. we also celebrate what I would argue is a very important project, which is 
I guess you could call it post-humanism, which is this idea that um, I think it's important for us to come to terms with um, a vision of the human, which is not anthropocentric. So we place the natural world on the same level as the human or even above, um, together on the same level as the non-human, the machine. And mm. so I think, first of all, I would say, and this comes into uh, and this sort of intertwines a lot of articles that we publish is this this idea of kind of what it means to come to terms with a post-human condition. Um, and it's I think it's important to, to, to make a distinction between post-humanism and transhumanism. Transhumanism tends to regard, in a sense, um, uh, machines uh, as, in a sense, a way of uh, creating a superhuman, in a sense. Mm. Yeah, like, like connecting them like a hybrid, right, and making it... Uh... One one entity, but it's smarter and stronger, and having all kinds yes. of skills. And I suspect, I suspect that is, in a sense, inevitable. But I, I, from my perspective, I think the progressive politics, when it comes to the AI debate, revolves around, I think, uh, a kind of equality or equilibrium between. Um, human, non-human, and, and natural, or more than human. And, you know, you have artists like um, Entangled Others who, who deal with that, um, and a number of other artists as well. Um, Amelia Winger-Bearskin comes to mind, but there are lots of others um, who are interested, I suppose you could say, in the kind of the politics of the post-human condition. Um, we, so... Uh, obviously, also, you know, one of the founding members of Club NFT is Danielle King, who's become a very, mm. I think, a very important uh, figure in in the movement for, for you know, AI art or ML yeah. art, um, or generative AI. Obviously, Mprops, I think, is, is, is a wonderful platform. Um, and I think long form generative AI projects, which is, I think, the language that they would they would still use. Um, uh, offers a lot of interesting potential. Obviously, I would say that because I, I personally think that the artifacts project that that Anna and I um, did, um, you know, without that platform, we wouldn't have been able to to push those ideas out into the world. So I, I guess I'm I'm biased in a sense, but I also you know was um, you know have had long conversations with Danielle about you know the importance of of um, being open to um sort of uh, machine learning and of course there are also you know there's a long history of artists working with machine learning um uh, people like you know Anna Riddler or, or Mario Klingerman and so and so on and and many more you know we could go back to Harold Cohen in the 1970s if we wanted to um so you know i i think um you can probably tell that my interest tends to be about uh, listening to the artists, if they find it valuable, if collectors find it valuable, then clearly it's relevant to right-click save. Um, mm -hmm. But in the same way, it's obviously also important to establish historical genealogies for this, this practice. Um, yeah. And hopefully in a progressive way, I think that's important to stress. Um, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, ultimately we, we try to be critical and we try to be plural in, in the politics of right-click save, but in a sense, we are trying to drive a more inclusive, more progressive understanding of the, the post-human condition. Yeah. 
No, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, way to put it. And Alex, just for context, what are some, some numbers from Safe, like number of articles, uh, number of writers, how many artists have you showcased? I don't know if you keep track of these things, but it would be interesting to know. Yeah, I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna pull up some figures for you. So we we've had, I think, uh, I think we've had uh, we've just published our 251st article, um, oh. which was um, having published the 250th on Friday, which was this great conversation with FX Hash. Um, we've had uh, 137 uh, writers. Um, we've had. Around a hundred and just under one hundred forty thousand readings. Um, so uh, new readers, we've had one hundred nearly one hundred forty thousand. Um, I would say that our our committed readership is 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 certainly lower than that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think it's worth pointing out that Right Click Save opened in January twenty twenty two. But the down market began, the, the bear market began basically in March 2022. Mm-hmm. So one of the benefits of that was that I think a lot of the kind of empty hype that was driving the market in 2021 disappeared. So we've actually, in a sense, from the magazine's perspective, maybe not from the artist's perspective, um, we've benefited from, I think, um, the hype draining away. And actually, what's interesting about that is in the absence of hype, in a sense, the only thing you have left is is real cultural value. Mm. And, you know, from our perspective, the way of measuring real cultural value is, you know, listening to voices. You know, what are the what are the things that are preoccupying artists? What are the ethics um, in the market? You know, obviously, the um, the Ethereum merge was a big thing to have happened since the last bull market. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great. You know that it, we know that the next bull market, as and when it arrives, whether it's arrived, you know, today or last week or not yet, um, I think it's it's fair to say we will be dealing with a different ecosystem. And I'd like to think that it will be, you know, right click save, just like you, just like Blind Gallery, just like Outland, just like. All ships, just like Super Rare magazine, all of these publications and cultural contributors have laid foundations, I think, for mm. a different art world to emerge. Um, certainly, a different crypto art world. Um, you know, whenever the bull the, the bull market reappears. So, um, stats wise, you know, I'm very proud of the work we've done. We've we've been a small team. You know, like you, we're we're a small team. Like a lot of Web three platforms, yeah. you know, we are a lean startup, and yeah. and that's that's good in one sense, which is the, which means that it's there's always a human scale to yeah. that. Um, occupation. Of course, the problem um, is it's very diff- difficult to scale. You always have to, to work hard to, to survive, particularly in the damn market. And everybody's under a lot of pressure. Um, but, you know, I, I'm very grateful to the to the friends and, and you know, and also very admiring of, of, of your work, of, of all Thank the people you. that I see every day who work damn hard to celebrate what's going on at a time when the market is not necessarily doing the same. And I think that's, that's really great. And, and obviously, 
Um, you know, it's one thing, you know, participating in a market when everything's exciting and rosy and yeah. hypey. It's quite another to be, you know, doubling down in dark times. Yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, no. But I, I, I don't regret, you know, this, this, uh, this period at all. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think from what you are doing and when, what other outlets that you mentioned are doing is great for, as you said, when the, the bull market comes and new people, right, come into the space, um, there are now more places, more entities, more websites, magazines, newsletters um, that are talking about art and uh, they have some, you know, clear vision on what they are showcasing. And it's much easier for those people to find this small area of the Web3 space. And that probably when you when you joined, when you started, when I started, it wasn't that the case, right? There weren't these sort of publications out there. That's why I started my newsletter, right? Because it was so hard for me to find, you know, interesting sources to learn basically, and, and then to stay up to date. So uh, great job, Alex, what you're doing. I also told Jason, I mean, also with um, the other initiatives that you have been doing, uh, I think the, the region particularly is quite exciting. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that? What's the, the concept behind region and what have you accomplished so far? Well, I, I guess, you know, from my vantage point, um, I've, I've, I see things that are missing in the space. Um, and, you know, Jason, Mikol, um and I um, also, you know, we, we started FemGen back in, um, I think this time last year, we hosted FemGen in, in, in sort of um, in Wynwood uh, during Miami Basel. Yeah, I was there. I was there actually. Yeah. 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 And so... That was the only reason I, I I draw attention to that, and that was supported by you know um, Art Blocks, Eric uh, Calderon. Um, it was supported by uh, the Funny Guys. It was supported by Kylo. Um, mm. That was a an organic grassroots kind of product um, that you know sought to address an issue that had become a, a really important, um, but also a really problematic. Um, so I think a really problematic part of Web3, uh, which was the representation of yeah, female generative artists or female identifying generative artists. So FemGen, for example, was, you know, I guess, seeing a big issue and trying to address it. Um, I've, Regen was a, was a collaboration and it, it continues uh, with um, one of the first um, NFT scholars, um, Fotini Valianti, who's a, who's a scholar at uh, University College London, and she, she um, wrote the first um, uh, academic publication on uh, NFTs and museums. So she is, uh, you know, I think it's important to stress that Right Click Save is in a set, is, as far as possible, it's a kind of scholarly enterprise, um, but it's also kind of quick and dirty. You know, we 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 obviously publish things more quickly than they can be peer reviewed. Um, so I've been very grateful for scholars like Fotini for, for collaborating and writing for the publication. 
um, because it's hard for academics to publish in a in a public context which is not peer reviewed because their their reputations are, are, are vul more vulnerable. Um, so for me, I, I really you know respect uh, Fotini's work a lot, and we basically um, uh, partnered up to. Um, uh, develop an NFT uh, auction uh, to coincide with Cure Cubed, which is an ongoing charitable um, enterprise um, that raises money for Cure Parkinson's, which is one charity specializing in neurodegenerative diseases. This year, we have done, I guess you could say, three uh, auctions. Um, we did uh, Cure Cubed, which was with Bonhams in London, um, which, which raised sort of uh, $270,000, something with uh, thanks to FX Hash and thanks to the FX Hash community, uh, certainly without that community, we would not have raised that sum. Um, and I think that was a really exciting moment for us because what it told us was that, first of all, there's a really important and I think ethical component to Web3. You know, whether it is, you know, uh, fundraising crypto and getting crypto into Ukraine, or, you know, I think what we've seen over the last few years is the capacity of cryptocurrency to be a source of charitable uh, revenue. And yeah. what has been really interesting, I think, to us is, is, is getting to know different charities and being able to offer them this alternative revenue stream, but also this alternative community of collectors that has an ethical code. Um, and I think so for us, you know, we wanted to bring together particularly long form generative art, because, of course, the more outputs you have, yeah. the, ch the greater the chances of raising a really significant sum. Um, one of the lessons that we've learned, which is not a necessarily a positive, is that um, the secondary market, particularly in a, in a bear market, the secondary market, which could stand to really benefit charities, has not been so successful. So what we've learned is that long-form generative art is an amazing way of raising money for charity, uh, whether it's Cure Parkinson's, the ALS Association with Snowfro Squiggles uh, and Vertical Crypto Art, or um, most recently, uh, the Cure Alzheimer's Fund, which was a collaboration with the Giving Block. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the secondary sales of these uh, outputs have not been so great. Thankfully, the primary sales have all mm -hmm. been pretty successful. But so, you know, it's not, a, it's not a perfect solution. But I think, you know, from our perspective, there's a lot of uh, people feel very strongly about neurodegenerative uh, diseases because they affect so many people around the world. It's very hard to find anyone who doesn't have a family member or, 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 or personal relationship with someone who's suffered. Um, so that's been the basis for Regen. And, um, you know, obviously we want, to, we want to build this out next year. I think it is probably fair to say that in a bull market, we're still to see the, the full power of charitable yeah. um, generative art auctions. But I certainly would like to explore that um, going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, first, it's a, it's a great, a great thing you are, you are doing there. Uh, I really, you know, congratulate you there because it's, it's uh, I know how hard it is to, you know, build these things, build the art, build the website, build the promotion. So it's a, it's a lot of effort and I think it's a very noble cause. And I think, yeah, as you said, when the, the bull market kind of comes back, these are fantastic tools for, for 
to raise money for charity. And the good thing about the blockchain is that it's transparent. The given block, they have this technology where you can trace, you can trace where the funds went. And and they have an amazing, I mean, incredible amount of institutions and different different places where you can donate via crypto, different blockchains, different uh, crypto coins. So it's it's a, a, a great way to do it. I want and, to just, if I can just say, I I, um, it, I have to say, one of the, I think it's fair to say that in a down market, without the artists, you know, it's fair to say in any context, without the artists, these kinds of charitable projects are impossible. But mm. it's fair to say in the bear market, without people like Marcelo Soria Rodriguez um, and everyone, you know, Nat Sarkissian, um, Melissa Wiederecht, um, Sputniko, I'm just going to list the, the five that have participated in our most recent, Robert Hodgin, um, without the, the kind of the willingness on the part yeah. of these artists to, let's be honest, take less money for their own cultural labor, we would not be able to raise this money. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, but I think it's very important to say that because I think Web3 has a bad rap. Um, and I think a lot of people are skeptical about NFTs because of the speculative uh, potential. I would say that the speculative potential of NFTs is one of the principal ways in which they can be used yeah. as a charitable vehicle. And I think yeah. artists working with long form generative art understand that. And I think, you know, hopefully Regen has, has showed a better side of Web3. And a way in which actually, you know, NFTs shouldn't be a, a, a kind of an embarrassing technology. It should actually be something we celebrate. But of course, it does depend on the ethics of the communities who use them. Yeah, yeah I think you, you said it perfectly. And I, I really like that idea of kind of using that speculative assets in a good way, right? So it's yes. okay, you can speculate, but we are also going to target that towards something good. So I think that's a great way to put it. And Alex, we, we have been talking almost for an hour. And, you know, we have, I always like to ask a guest uh, this question. So put you on a tough spot and to, and to name three artists uh, that inspire you uh, that you would like to mention. So I've written down uh, two <laughs> artists who I included in my uh, recent article, Art After Entities. Um, both from Buenos Aires, um, mm. just trying to be topical because, of course, uh, Bright Moments has just uh, been in Buenos Aires. And I have to say, you know, sh- shout out to Bright Moments. I, I, I feel what, what, it's, what that project has done increasingly is to celebrate local communities of artists around the world. And I, I don't know if that was the case at the beginning, but for me... Buenos Aires was a really great example where Bright Moments and the local community were fully integrated. And it seemed to me to be a, a really nice way in which both generative art and crypto art actually came together. Um, mm. And when I say crypto art, I'm really talking about digital artists of all kinds all around the world um, making a career thanks to the NFT. So the, the two artists from Buenos Aires is uh, Zelda Jara and uh, Pamilo Chironi, um, both of them are in my, um, in my article. Uh, the other artist um, is Stephanie Dinkins. And 
I think it's really important, uh, Callow, just before we finish, to, to stress that it seems to me there are um, artists like uh, Zelda and Pamilo who have built careers outside of the mainstream art world. And for me, that is the principal reason Right Click Save exists. So it's absolutely my responsibility to celebrate those artists. Okay. Um, at the same time, I also value artists who can turn technologies to progressive ends. And I feel that one of the pow powerful things about um, creative coding is that creative coding, in a sense, is not only a, a way to produce visually seductive images, it's also a way to produce new digital systems that we are going to be living in in the future. And in my experience, when you allow artists to work on and develop the digital systems in which we live, those systems invariably have a greater ethical component, a more inclusive component. And, and the reason I use Stephanie Dinkins is, is, is Stephanie has been working with small data for a decade. And a couple of years ago, uh, leading computer scientist Andrew Eng said, we don't need more big data. We need better small data. And Stephanie's been working with small data for years. And what I learned when, when I heard that was that actually artists, at, you know, when they are working with digital technologies, can actually shape the future of our own experience of the world in a positive way. And I think that is one of the most profound things about Web3 is that in Web2, you never had a Web2 artist. You know, you had, yeah. you know, fine art, contemporary art and new media art or, or even post-internet art. But basically art and tech were separate. In Web3, you have Web3 artists. And what that tells me is that the worlds of art and technology are now coming together. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a comfortable relationship. But the reason I think that's a really good thing is... It means that art is no, no longer necessarily separate from the tech industry. Yeah. Art, digital art, generative art, creative coders can actually shape the future of the tech systems in which we live. And the history of Web 2 is, I think, a is basically a history of what happens when the wider world has no real way of affecting the systems in which yeah. they live. Right. What I think, you know, artists like Stephanie, but also honestly, all of the artists in Web3 are capable of is actually changing the world that we live in now. Yeah, yeah basically, they can shape the experience, right? And, and it's you ex experiment basically your, your way through this new web. And it could be, it's also like there is more flexibility for platforms, for developers for any kind of creator, right? To shape the experience and for the consumer, the collector, the fan to have a more direct connection, right? So you're right. It feels like um, before technology kind of communities and people didn't have a way to kind of shape the technology. And now 
thanks to you know decentralization, NFTs, and blockchain, creators have a way to shape these things, and artists in particular can create works of art that can be exper- experimented, right? So that's that's really a, a very very good point I, there. I would, also, I would also say that after the pandemic, it's no longer really sustainable to think that art is separate from life. Hmm. Our experience of the world is mediated by digital systems. Let's not be in any doubt. We can pretend that it's not, but we would be lying to ourselves. And what I like about Web3 is the artists, a lot of the artists, embrace the fact that actually it's a brave new world. And they have much, much more power to shape the experience of people, not just, you know, art going people, but everyone um, than they've ever had before. And I think it's really important that the good things about art in its traditional sense, the, the critical components, the conceptual components and the ethical components are not lost as art and tech come together. That is very possible. Um, but when I see, you know, the Web3 community and I see the, the, the ethics that I think underpins a lot of the work that people do in this space, I feel positive that art and tech can come together in a way that doesn't sacrifice um, the ethical um, code of the community on the altar of capitalism. That's a, a great, great reflection. And Alex, it was a great conversation. I mean, thanks for having me, Carlo. I hope we can do this in the future and let's stay in touch. I really want to get, uh, you know, write an article and, and have it out there and right click safe. If I, and I'm, I'm okay with your feedback, you can, you can be very, very strict with your, <laughs> with your review on my own. It's I, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm sure no changes will be necessary. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot, Alex. Have a great day. Bye-bye.